Uh, we have any swimmers in here? Any long-distance swimmers? No? All right. Uh, I'll be honest, that idea kind of, of that makes me kind of want to just drown, you know? Like, um, but in 1952, we're going to take it back. Uh, you may have heard of this lady, uh, Florence Chadwick. She stepped into, uh, off the coast of California to the Pacific uh, Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim uh, to the shore of the mainland California from Catalina Island. Um, and she had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel uh, both ways. And um, so she sets out uh, to do the Catalina Channel, uh, flanked by boats, looking for sharks and being there in case of emergency or she couldn't make it. And, um, and so we're talking 26 miles, okay, turbulent, you know, rough waters. And, um, and so the weather was chilly this day, so she sets out. She's going, setting out for 26 miles and... Uh, and then after about 15 hours, a thick, yes, a thick fog set in, okay? And she could barely even see the boats around her, much less anything else beyond, uh, beyond that. And so she, she kept doubting her ability, trying to, trying to give up, trying to give up. Her mom uh, was in the boat just encouraging her, just, to, just keep going, just a little bit more, a little bit more. I can see the shore, I can see the shore. And, uh, and finally, she begged to be taken out of the water. She, she gives up, and so they, they pull Florence uh, Chadwick out of the water into the boat. And um, finally, she, as she's exhausted, they pull her out of the boat, and she discovered that the shore was only like a half mile away. After swimming, you know, 25 and a half miles. And obviously pretty bummed, right? And so at a news conference, they were asking her about this. She, the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. That's all I could see. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And so, you know, uh, if we think about our life today, uh, a lot of times we could say, you know, it's pretty foggy down here. And I'm not just talking about just the, 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 the morning fog, but it, just life seems foggy. I don't know if you notice it, but things aren't always the way they should be, right? There, there's so much going on. There's so much mess. There's so much craziness. There's so much chaos in our lives and in this world around us that sometimes it's hard for us to see clearly. Uh, A.J. Conyers, he writes this, he says, even if we manage to escape some of the bigger tragedies in life, which few of us do, life rarely matches our expectations. Every vacation eventually comes to an end. Friends often move away. When we do get a taste of what we really long for, it never lasts. Now, how's that for depressing? But we can agree probably that life is often foggy. It gets hard for us to live out our faith, you know, in a way that, that we want to, uh, when we can't clearly see uh, what's the finish line. And so we see people all around us, you know, uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, or people just in life in general, just flailing around in the water. So today, as we wrap up our series, The Story of God, uh, you know, we've been doing this uh, for seven weeks where we've been taking a, a 35,000 foot view of the, the whole entire scriptures and, uh, and really big chunks. For the most part, we've been tackling the scriptures by genre of literature, and, but we're seeing how God uh, connects the whole story and how God continuously invites us uh, to, to join in his story. So today, we're wrapping it up with the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, if you've never read Revelation, or if, even if you've never been to church before, and chances are you have some preconceived ideas about Revelation, right? Um, 
you know, when you hear people talking about Revelation, it's often wrapped up in uh, a doomsday package, right? You hear that maybe it's some guy on the corner who's screaming and, and everyone's going to hell and, and there's just all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. Or, or um, people uh, uh, comes up, come up with all these theories proclaiming that so-and-so is, is this 666 that the book of Revelation talks about, you know, insert p- modern political figure, whoever it is, and, and they come up with some way to, to make it all about us and our time and our culture, you know, in America. I remember as a um, cashier, I used to be a cashier, ladies and gentlemen, at Food Lion back in my teen years, and, uh, and every now and again, I remember this uh, on a couple occasions, someone's um, order would ring up to six dollars and 66 cents oh lord have mercy you know like give me get some gum you know and like <laughs> so okay okay that's 696 you know you got fact. so 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 uh so they, they couldn't handle the 660 there's been I, in recent years there's been a couple times where i've had items ring up 666 and i'm like sweet i got out cheap you know and so i'm like i'm good with it i'm good with it um but some people, I remember people freaking out, you know. But uh, we, we remember actually in recent history, uh, maybe about eight years ago, um, uh, or nine or ten years ago, I can't remember what year it was, but um, someone was, pro- was proclaiming, prophesying that they knew the date that Jesus was going to return. Do you remember this? I think it might have been like 2008, October. And, uh, and, and, and he was saying that from the scriptures, he knew that the Bible, that, I mean, Jesus was coming back. And, and it was on the, I actually was at Starbucks meeting with somebody and like, I, I got on the news somehow because they were asking, what do you think about this? I was like, oh, I think he doesn't know the Bible because Jesus actually tells us that no one will know. So it's interesting. And, um, and I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a pastor. Like, really? So, uh, so some, uh, some people use Revelation to terrify the mess out of people. I mean, maybe you've heard of or read uh, the Left Behind series. Me and Brandon were talking about this. Like, he's like, man, I remember being terrified. You know, like, like, and they're using like, Revelation to scare the hell out of people. Like, seriously, li- like, literally. And, um, and then some of you use Revelation for a number of agendas, you know, uh, both personal or uh, political. And, and, and so, but if we're being real, Revelation is very confusing. Okay, there's no there's no denying that for us today. And in fact, it's it's probably often the most neglected book in the Bible by many, not by all. Some are obsessed with it, but uh, neglected by many because it is hard to understand. Because we get tangled in these various interpretations of what people are saying, this or that, and and so it encourages us to stay further away from it. But today. As we wrap up, I think this is going to be uh, the thing that we need uh, to kind of help us see the shoreline um, of what's ahead. So uh, it's written by this guy named John. Formerly, we don't know which John. I think it's probably the Apostle John, you know, the John that hung out with Jesus, one of Jesus' inner uh, circle of uh, disciples and friends. And uh, uh, also, the, that would be the John that wrote the Gospel of John, which some of you guys are reading through right now um, in our um, story of Jesus reading. And um, so that's the John. And, and John is, um, he's exiled on the island of Patmos uh, because he's he, basically for proclaiming the Jesus message. So he's, he's cast away. And, and we see he's given this revelation, this vision through the Holy Spirit from God. And, and now we don't know if it was a vision or a trance or a dream-like thing, but, uh, but so Revelation is, uh, is 
actually three different genres of literature. It's actually a letter, you know, that it starts out, it's, it's written in letter form, and there's these letters to these churches, and it was meant to be sent around to churches. Um, it's also prophecy, okay? And that's, remember, that's not just foretelling things, that's also speaking forth from God. Uh, so it's prophecy, and it's also was what we call apocalyptic, okay? And that's where uh, there's a lot of uh, imagery and a lot of symbolism and numbers mean things. There's a lot, there's a lot dancing uh, in the book of Revelation. It, it, so apocalyptic, it's almost code talk. You know, any of you guys ever come up with your own language so you can communicate with your BFF, you know, and no one else knows what you're talking about? Yeah, me, me neither, but I've heard of some people doing that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like code talk. Outsiders wouldn't get it. Because it's at this point in, in history where, where Christianity wasn't very favorable. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like super easy and good. Uh, it was, there was growing hostility uh, towards Christians. They're experiencing the tension of living out their faith in a culture where it wasn't really welcomed. And so we saw two things that were really happening. One, that Christians were, uh, were compromising their faith. And that means they were just falling right on in with the Roman Empire around them. They were just, uh, just do what everyone else was doing. No distinction between the world and between uh, the church. And then the second thing is they were <clears throat> trying to, uh, some were trying to be faithful. They're trying to live out their faith. They're following Jesus. But it was just a really, really crazy world, and it was often dangerous to do so. And so here's Revelation, you know? It's a challenge to stay faithful. It's a challenge to not compromise, to not give up. And, and so look, sometimes it gets foggy here, right? And, and, and just as Florence Chadwick says, I think if we could see the shoreline, uh, you know, I, I would have made it. And it's at this point, Revelation offers us that perfect ending to the story of God. So I want, today, I just want to give us five uh, glimpses, okay? Five glimpses of the shoreline. Uh, so as we're living out our life um, and trying to live out our faith, that, uh, man, we'll just be challenged and encouraged to keep going, to not give up. So the first one is this. We, Revelation shows us who God is. And you're like, well, yes, the Bible. You know, isn't that part of the job of the Bible? Well, yes, you know, like over the past seven weeks, we've been looking at the big picture of the whole story of God. It's God's story, and there's a whole lot that it tells us about God, but we admit there's a ton that we do not know about God. In fact, if God, we understood everything there was to understand about God, he wouldn't be very much of a God, would he? But uh, there's a whole lot that we learn. We have this distinct and this new image of God in the book of Revelation. There's hints about it in some of the prophets like Isaiah and stuff. But, but here there's this image of heaven. It's, it's filled with, um, again, Revelation is filled with symbolism and imagery. But I want to read from Revelation chapter 4. And it says, uh, at once. John, this is John. He says, I was in the spirit. So he's, he's having this vision. He says, uh, and there before me was a throne with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a, a, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne... Uh, things get a little bit more creepy. Uh, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear 
as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and it was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So John is receiving this vision, and he sees someone sitting on a throne, which is who? God. This is God sitting on the throne. And he's using all this terminology and the, these precious stones, you know. And, and he, he, what, I think what he's doing is he's trying to use the, the best words that he can come up with to kind of describe this awesome image that he's seeing. And there, there's, it's filled with imagery, imagery. It's filled with majesty. And it's filled with beauty as he tries to explain the glory of God. And it's interesting. You see a thunder and, and lightning. Uh, and it comes from from the throne. You see this actually several times in the book of Revelation. And, and, and thunder and lightning is, symbols, is symbolizing God's awesome power and majesty. You know, you ever sat in a thunderstorm and uh, had enjoyed it from a distance? I remember we would fish um, uh, out in the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, the Seagull Pier. You're three and a half miles from shore, and then you have the bay in front of you, and, and you see storms from, from 20 miles away. It's just lighting up the sky, and it, it's, it's beautiful, right? And, and we're looking at our radar. We're like, man, that's really far away, but we can see it so clear. And then one time, like, it was getting closer, and we're, like, looking. We're like, oh, snap. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to go. And because it, it stopped from being beautiful, from being terrifying. Same thunder, same lightning. And see, that's the symbol of God's awesome power and his majesty. And we constantly catch these glimpses of, of the throne in, in the book of Revelation. And, and, and that's where God's, God is. That's where God's presence is. And he's surrounded by also some pretty strange creatures as well. You know, these elders, 24 elders. Um, um, that's probably uh, 12 uh, for the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people, the Old Testament. And now uh, you had the 12 uh, disciples turned apostles in the New Testament. And so this is symbolic of all of God's people, okay? God's, uh, God's the old way, the new way, God's people. And um, then there's these other creatures with eyes and wings and different heads and all this stuff. What's going on? And, and you, you think about it, they, they, they represent the strongest of all the creatures, you know, the eagle, the ox, the, the man, the lion, these, these were all powerful creatures in their own realm. And so they're, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the only word that's described to God in the Bible uh, in triplet. You know, bam, bam, bam. Uh, it doesn't say love, love, love. It doesn't say powerful, powerful, powerful. This is holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. And holy just means to be distinct, to be separate. Like, God is like none other. Like, he's there, we're here. God, you are unique, you are different, you are sacred, you're separate from everything else. You're the creator, everything else is creation. And so we see God and we see the story playing out, that, that we see who God is. We get this glimpse. That's a glimpse that we can see in, in, the, in the shore, in the distance. Second thing that we see um, playing out is we see that God is in control. 
And that's the same God who sits on the throne. You know, the throne is also symbolic of being in control. The throne is symbolic of, of being in, in charge. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's this reference over and over to this, uh, this uh, to Babylon, okay? And, and Babylon's like the bad guy, okay? But, but the interesting thing is Babylon wasn't really on the scene at this point when John was writing. They were the bad guys to several generations earlier, I don't know if you know the storyline of the Bible that well, but uh, God's people uh, were um, rebelling against God's way, so God sends in the bad guys. He, he uses them, and, and uh, the Babylons come in. They, they overtake uh, God's people. They're exiled back to Babylon. So these were the bad guys. They, were, uh, they, they didn't line up with God's ways. But, um, so Babylon in Revelation is probably a reference to Rome. Okay, they were in the, Rome, the Roman Empire. Rome was supreme. It's probably code talk, you know, so this political system and culture around them. And uh, maybe we could also apply it to some things today, right? That the world around us that doesn't honor God, the culture, that, the politics that doesn't honor God, you know. But, but for them, uh, Babylon was their culture around them. Because the Roman Empire was not okay with the church. It was not okay. It was not really a, a legal uh, religion because Rome said this, Caesar is Lord. Well, so they were okay with all the other religions, you know, that ah, you could believe in this as long as you believe in this and as long as you also declare Caesar is Lord. But, well, that's where it didn't work out for the Christians because who is Lord? We say Jesus is Lord. And so Revelation was showing that while things, things seem completely out of control, that God is in control. He still sits on the throne. He knows things are crazy. And when all hell breaks loose, you know, God's people are protected. They may even lose their life. But in the grand scheme of eternity, that's not the biggest thing that could happen. God's in control. So, so we keep our eyes fixed on that. You know, we, that's the shoreline that we have to continue to see because we know that it's foggy down here and there's going to be stuff. And so we need to constantly be reminded that God is in control. The third thing that we stay focused on is the finished work of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. You know, one of the best pieces of advice, if you read Revelation, um, is, is this. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. There's going to be a whole lot of moving parts and pieces in this book of Revelation. You know, there's going to be imagery and seven bowls and seven seals and horsemen and winds and corners and beasts and, and dragons and, and all this stuff going on. But, but stay focused on Jesus and you won't get too far off course. So uh, pick up Revelation and read it without any help. You know, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. It's going to be very confusing. So stay focused on, on, on Jesus. And uh, we see in Revelation 5, verse 5 and 6, um, John is given this, this scroll, but he doesn't have access to it. He can't open it. And so he's like, he weeps. And, and, then, and then it says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And the, uh, then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. All right? 
There's a whole lot going on in just this little passage, but, but he's like, whoa, 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 like the lion, there's this lion of Judah can open the scroll, and he turns, and what does he see? A lamb. So what's going on here? He said the lion, but they said, so these are both references to the same person, to Jesus, that the lion of Judah, that, which is, goes back to Old Testament prophecy, talking about uh, one of the tribes as being a little lion, but it's going to grow, it's going to be strong and powerful. So, so it re- refers to Jesus' power, but the lamb refers to Jesus as what? His sacrifice, yeah. His sacrifice. And so... When was he the lamb? He was the lamb when he was on the when he went to the cross, where he offered his self, his perfect life, before a holy, holy, holy God for unholy people to be made right with God. That's that's why he's called the lamb. He's called the lamb thirty-two times, references the lamb thirty-two times just in the book of Revelation, and he's because he's known in heaven by his work. By what he did on the cross. He saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Now that doesn't seem very grand. We're talking about heaven, right? We're talking, he's on the throne. He's surrounded by all these creatures. But, but there's this mark. There's this identity uh, with him even in heaven uh, that symbolizes the sacrifice and the love, uh, the links that he went to for you and me. He's redeemed us and, and he is victorious. And we will be too. And so, so he, uh, we, we see the finished work of Jesus we need to continue to stay focused on. He's identified by the power of, of his love and the sacrifice. And we keep our eyes on, on the lamb on, and who, who is slain. There, there's still blood visible. And, and we keep our eyes focused on him. Because he's victorious. Uh, the fourth thing we keep our eyes that we stay focused on is to, is staying faithful. That's the call, constant call in the book of Revelation. It's a challenge to the church to be faithful where they are, no matter what's going on around them. You know, isn't it easy for us to let the things around us completely control us? Like, it's really easy to see when you look at kids, you know what I'm saying? But we're no different, you know? Like, we, we allow other people's attitudes to completely put us in a tizzy. We allow that driver to make us road rage out, you know? We, uh, the weather, the, you know, the shower, what, the wrong side of the bed, any, anything can set us in, in a path. But, but Jesus, uh, Revelation is saying, stay faithful no matter what's going on around us. As Revelation starts out, uh, there's these letters, seven letters to different churches, okay? And, and it's a challenge to these churches. Hey, here's, here's, here's where you're, you're messed up. Here's what you're, you're doing okay, and here's what you need to do, and kind of this challenge to these churches. And, and one of them, um, Revelation 2.10 is to the church in Smyrna. Uh, Jesus is saying, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, 10 is symbolic, okay, uh, for 10 days. But be faithful until it's a little bit uncomfortable that he'll give you the victor's crown. That's not what it says, is it? <laughs> no, that'd be a little bit more convenient, right? No, be faithful even to the point of death. And may I will give you the victor's crown. You will be victorious. You'll be more 
than a conqueror. And so what he's saying is this, no matter what's going on around you, your job, my job is just to be faithful. You know, good days, bad days, painful days, days of questions and doubting, the days of persecution, the days when, when nothing seems to go right on your foggiest day ever. Be faithful. <clears throat> to all the churches, Jesus says to them, he says, I know your deeds. Now, for some, for some, that could be the best thing you can hear, but for others, that might be the most terrifying thing that you could ever hear. When Jesus says, I know your deeds, you know? And so church, may we be faithful that way when Jesus says he knows our deeds, that we can stand, we can stand. And the last thing today I want to challenge us as we stay focused on, on the shoreline is, is we, we look at, we see, we focus on the new creation. We focus on the new creation. There, uh, um, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now that sounds like bad news for uh, ocean lovers, but the sea was often uh, symbolized with, with, uh, with terror and wickedness and, and stuff. And so the point is there's nothing bad, okay? Nothing bad. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that's mourning as in our sadness. Now, some of you guys are thinking, hoping I was going to say mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, right? There's no more mornings. But, um, you know, it will be all good. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So what will heaven be like? Man, there's so much we don't know about heaven. But I can tell you this, it's going to be perfect. It's not going to be stuffy. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be endless singing. It's not going to be uh, uh, all those other things that slightly scare us a little bit about heaven. You, you, could, you could be honest about that. But no, it's going to be life as God intended it. With him at the center of everything. No more death. No more mourning. No more tears. No more sickness, no more disease, no more, uh, no more pain, no more cheating and lying. And, and, and see, some of, us today that need, some of us today need to be reminded that heaven is going to be greater than earth. Like, we need to be reminded because we work really hard on our time here to make, you know, heaven here. Heaven now. And, and, and we, we get ourselves so comfortable and fill ourselves with as many joys as we can possibly feel that, that we, we're a little bit uh, less looking forward to heaven. We forget. And see, but, but we see that God is with his children in heaven. And, and this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And that we're still going to be working and living and loving and thinking and creating and exploring. Uh, but it's going to be without the effects of sin on the creation that we've been experiencing our whole life. And since sin entered the storyline. And that's the storyline of the Bible, guys. 
is that God is constantly pursuing his children. He's constantly making a way for us to know him and to be with him. And, and just as things were at the very beginning of the story that God created people, he was with them in the garden. And we see an ending where God is with his people in a new heaven, a new earth. And so, church, if we can't see the shore because of the fog, uh, Revelation helps us. Revelation shows us what's God, what God is doing. He's given John this vision, this revelation to share with believers to help them uh, live out faithful in their culture and, uh, and, and to have a, a, a new perspective, to have a different perspective. Because it's hard to see when we're suffering. It's hard to see when you're sick. And you're wondering where God is. It's hard to see when your kids lost their minds and you think they lost their way. It's hard to see when your friends abandon you. And it's hard to see when you've been betrayed or you feel lonely. It, it's, it's hard to see that when you're broke and you don't know where your next bill, how it's going to be paid. It's hard to see when you're struggling. It's hard to see anything else. And so John's like there in the boat beside us saying, look, I see it. Keep, keep swimming. Keep swimming. So in 1952, Florence Chadwick, she attempted to swim the Catalina Channel. She, she gave in, you know, after 25 and a half miles. Two months later, she tried it again. And guess what? The same thick fog set in. But she said she kept a mental image in her mind of the shoreline, and she made it, and she made it. Look, when we see who God is, when we see that he's in control, we're reminded of the finished work of Jesus, the Lamb of God. We're encouraged to stay faithful as we look forward to the new creation as God intended it. And that's the beautiful ending to the story of God. And that could be each and our of our ending. You know, the, the promise of heaven and of life with him. And, and, and I just want to challenge this church to trust the story. I've been saying this every single week. Trust the story. Trust the story. Like, step into the story. Trust God because he calls you in. And, and if you want that hope and that promise of heaven, you know, there is a lamb with blood still stained on it with your name on it in heaven. His name is Jesus. And when we trust him as our Lord and as our Savior, as we turn our life towards him, as we're baptized into his name, man, you're covered. You're covered by his blood.